thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to study your word. We ask you to guide and lead as we look at this. And thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 26. In the last chapter, we had David uh, getting married to uh, Abigail and to Ahinoab. So he's got two women that he's running around uh, hiding with. (laughs) And 600 other people. <laughs> so he's not hiding very, very strongly. I mean, he's not, not hiding so that he can't be found. And uh, so verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 1. And the Ziphites came to Saul in Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hakiel, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down into the wilderness of Ziph having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hachiah, which is before Jazimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. So we're going to look at this. Saul keeps coming after David, all right? David convinces him that he's not, go, you know, he's not trying to kill him. And each time he remember, David asks, who is it that's telling you <laughs> that I'm you know, out to get you? And so two chapters ago, we saw David have an opportunity to kill him in the cave, if you remember. They, they, Saul went in to relieve himself, and David was in the cave and could have killed him. And tonight we're going to see a second opportunity that David has to kill him. Uh, but so the, the natives of the area that David's saying is, that, hey, Saul, you know, David, who you're trying to get is, is in our hills. And, you know, when we think about this, the, Saul should have said, okay, I love, I'm leaving David alone. He didn't kill me. But he comes back out at, again with 3,000 choice men. Okay? So he's going after David with 3,000 men. David has 600 men. Uh, five to one odds. I guess he's wanting to make sure he gets David if he ever finds him. <laughs> and uh, it, it says that Saul pitched his camp and that David sent spies out. And what is he trying to find out? Probably is Saul actually in this group of people. Because a lot of times a king would send out an army but not necessarily come himself. So he's going out and it says in the last verse four, and so, you know, to under, and understood that Saul was come in very deed. I think he's kind of understand, you know, I've had these three incidences with Saul so far, and every time he apologizes for coming after me and goes back home, and here he is again. You know, how depressing would that be to have your enemy say, okay, I'm not your enemy, I'm going to go back home, and then the next thing you know, they're back out being your enemy again. And this is what Saul is doing to David. Every time David turns around, he's coming out after David again. And I think David was kind of hoping that maybe the army was just out without Saul. (laughs) Maybe they were on their own and whatever. We're going to see something as we go into this. All right, verse 5. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of the host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched around him, about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech, the, Hitt, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zuri, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul 
to the camp. And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. And Abner and the people lay around about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, let me smite him, I pray you, with the spear, even to the earth at once. I will not smite him, smite him a second time. And David said unto Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall dis descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray you, take now... Take you now the spear at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. And David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they got them up and no man saw nor knew nor awakened for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord was falling on them. All right. Now here we have this wonderful <laughs> picture of what's going on. Uh, David goes up. He, he's looking at the camp. He's looking over the camp, and there he sees Saul, and he sees Abner. Does anybody remember who Abner is? Okay. In 1 Samuel 14, we were introduced to Abner. Abner is the chief of the uh, army of Saul. He's the captain, the general, we would say. He is also Saul's cousin. All right. Uh, but he's in charge of the army. So Saul has come out with himself his general, and probably the 3,000 best men in his army to, because it says the choice men of the army, to come get David. And David looks at this camp and sees Saul and he sees Abner and all the, all the men in, that are around about him. And uh, he, he gets and he says a very interesting thing. He turns to the, to the, you know, the I guess, two keep with him, goes, who's going to go down with me? I want to go into the camp, Saul's camp. <laughs> now, this is not necessarily the smartest thing to be doing. <laughs> Let's go sneak around camp with Saul, where Saul's men are. You know, the, the best of his men, we're going to go sneak around this camp a little bit. And yet David does this. And we see here uh, the people that he picks. You know, he's, he's Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zerai, the brother of Joab. Does anybody know who Joab is? We haven't really been introduced to Joab yet. Joab is going to be the general of David's army when he gets, becomes king. And so Abishai is here, and Abishai says, okay, I'll go down with you. All right, so David and Abishai are going to sneak into the camp. And you've got to picture this. This, is, this would make a wonderful story, you know, on a, on a, on a sitcom or something, you know, about an hour long. It probably wouldn't make a great movie, but... Uh, this scene, you know, they're going into the camp. And David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within a trench, and his spear stuck in the ground with his, by his bolster, and Abner and the people laying all around him. So in the middle of the camp, Saul has kind of dug a little kind of a ditch or something to, or is sleeping in some kind of ditch. Uh, if you know anything about camping, that's a dumb place to camp, to be sleeping in the first place. You don't, you don't sleep in the depression, but Saul is. Now, the depression would be easier to defend in one side, but once, once he got attacked, he would be trapped in that spot. So he's really not in a good place. 
which kind of shows us that somebody isn't very smart in Saul's army, whether it's Saul or Abner, I don't know which of the two is not being smart here. But, you know, well, he may be trying to hide too. Uh, so they come in and, and Abner, and Abner is mentioned a lot in this chapter, and I'm going to explain why later on I think I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here when David looks at him doing this. And when they get there, Abishai says to David, the Lord hath delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him to the ground with the spear, the spear and I will not spite, <laughs> spite him a second time. Okay, he says, I'll make sure I get him the first time, David. Just let me, let me at him. And there's two things I want to mention here that I, I, that I think is important that I've been thinking about. This is the second time that David has been told by somebody, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Go, go get him. And there's two points that I want to make in this whole thing is when we get counsel for somebody, let's make sure that it's godly counsel Okay, none of these guys were applying God's word to this because David's going to say, you know, no, I'm not going to strike God's anointed again. And he should have remembered it from the first time David said that. But how many times do we hear counsel from people that's not biblical? Uh, hopefully from at least Christians we do, but I know that there's many times Christians don't give biblical, godly counsel. But for us especially, if we're going to give counsel... Let's make sure it's biblical, make sure we've prayed about it. Because David keeps being advised by people, kill him. You know, he's your enemy, kill him. From a human perspective, that sounds like a wonderful idea. You know, okay, Saul, Saul is very indisposed. He was taking, you know, a, a bathroom break. Go ahead and kill him. David, he's fast asleep. The guards aren't here. Kill him. Okay, and so Abishai says, I'll make sure I kill him the first time. I mean, I won't, I won't have to strike. He won't even have time to scream out is what he's telling him when he says, I won't have to smite him twice. He says, I'm going to kill him so fast, he won't even know what got him, and we'll be out before, before anybody knows he's dead. This is the bloodthirstiness of Abishai, and David says, no, I'm not going to do this. The other thing I want to point out is a lot of times Christians and leaders in, in Christian circles will tell us, you know, if you have an open door, take it because God is, God is open doors. Well, I want to be very careful. Just because we have an open door to do something does not necessarily mean God has opened the door. Now, if an open door is there, take a look at it and pray about it. But be very careful because Satan can open doors just as easily as God can. All right? And he likes to open doors. When he went to Adam and Eve, he goes, you know, hey, this fruit will make you like God. Here's your open door. You become like God. And in their case, they took it. And many times we take the open doors without really considering them. Be very careful uh, that we don't just charge through something and say, well, you know, hey, you know, it was open. God must have opened the door. And I've heard pastors actually say, if the door is open, charge through it. But then that's kind of hard to figure out if it's God talking or if it's Satan this is the whole point of what I'm bringing. We're to, the just shall walk by faith. And I've said this many times. It would be so easy if God just sat on our shoulder, say, Here's, you know, turn right here, turn left here, go straight here, say this, don't say it. Don't say that. You know. But that's not how he asks, asks us to walk. Now, he will, if we will be quiet, direct us. 
How many times, though, do we just go charging around and doing the first thing that pops open and, and uh, say the first thing that pops into our head and you know, get ourselves into so much trouble because we don't sit back and say, God, what is it you want to do? And the problem is God speaks with a still, small voice. And if we don't stop to listen, we're not going to hear that still, small voice. And unfortunately, so many times, the open door looks so tempting, so good. Remember, David has been anointed king. Saul is anointed, uh, Samuel has anointed him king. He is the king as far as the anointing goes. If any time, he could have justified, just by the world's point of view, killing Saul. All right, Samuel anointed me. I'm, I'm supposed to be king. I can kill Saul. I mean, it would be... We've seen it through different other kings that have gone out and killed, <laughs> killed because they were anointed and they went out and killed, killed the guy that was in the position and God never condemned them for it. But David says, I'm not going to touch Saul. I am not going to touch Saul because God put him in place. And I loved what he told Abishai. You know, it'll come that, uh, you know, in verse 10, as the Lord lives, I shall not smite him, uh, uh, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die. He'll just die of old age. <laughs> uh, or he'll go into battle and perish. David says, I'm not worried about it. One way or the other, he's going to die. You know, and I don't need to help him get there. <laughs> and this is something that's very important for us to understand. Being patient is something that most human beings, and myself included, do not like to be. You know, we want things to happen when we want it to happen, and that's usually yesterday. <laughs> okay, it's not today, it's not tomorrow, it's not next month. It's like, God, I want it, and I want it yesterday. How come you didn't give it to me already? David could have taken that attitude, and if he had taken that attitude, Saul would have been dead already. And he definitely would have been dead in this case. Now, I don't know that it would have been wise trying to kill the king in the middle of his 3,000-man <laughs> army, uh, but... Here we see, and just be very careful when you're, when you're looking at what does God want you to do. All right? Don't just run out and say, I'm going to do this because the door's open, it looks good, I can make a great worldly case for it, because the world has all kinds of information that we shouldn't be, be paying attention to. And it's kind, of, it's kind of funny when we look at what God says about things and then we look at the way we live our life. You know, how many of us, you know, when we're reading the Bible, say, oh, God, you didn't, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm not supposed to be doing that. We look at our world right now, especially in, in America, where people are in debt to the tune of twenty to $30,000 each. And God says, you know, don't, don't uh, borrow money. <laughs> and yet we all do it, you know, and, and we justify it. Well, God, I can never buy a house at $300,000. I'll never save that kind of money. Uh, God, I'll never buy a car at... You know, whatever price the cars are these days. <laughs> you know, uh, I was watching, flipping through the game show network the other day, and it would say, brand new car, $6,000. And I'm going, you can't even buy a used car for that price. <laughs> well, well, those were the, the 70s, you know. <laughs> yeah. The reruns. You know, and it's like, yeah, you can't even buy a new car, you know, a new car, you know, 20, 30,000. You know, 20 if you're on the very low end. And yet, we look at this and say, God says, don't borrow the money. We look at this and say, so many things that God tells us to do, and yet so many times we don't do things the way God wants us to do it. 
and then we wonder why we have problems. <laughs> okay? Uh, and you know, this is something I've seen many times. People come up, well, how do I bring God into my situation? And you've been spent 10 years not doing it God's way. And all of a sudden, you want to start doing it God's way and have him just totally bless you. <laughs> and that has the consequences for having lived years not doing it his way. And it's tough. I mean, we do get blessed. God blesses us. But you know, the Christian life is not all blessing. There's a lot of trials and, and tribulations in it and tests and, and all of that. Um, you know, and I heard one of the pastors talking about Paul's, you know, I talked to you, know, where Paul says, these are my light afflictions. And he talks about being shipwrecked and beat and, and all of those things. And he says, these are my light afflictions. Now, I've, I have never been beat for, my, beat for my faith. I've never been shipwrecked. I've never had the problem Saul had, Paul had. So if his was light afflictions, I think anything that happens to me can be a light affliction. But what's, why, why did he say they were light afflictions? Because he was looking at heaven. He was looking at the reward that was to come. He wasn't looking at this life. If we're looking just at this life, if we're not being totally blessed, we're not going to look at anything being light afflictions. God, I didn't get what I wanted, so that, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. Or you're, you're in trouble. You haven't given me my blessings. David is running for his life. And yet... He seems to be ready to say, whenever God wants, whenever God wants to give me this. That's where our patience needs to be. You know, a lot of times in, in our world, we, we don't give God our tithes and offerings. We don't give him time. We don't give him service. And then we wonder, God, why aren't you blessing me? And I've actually had people say, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. Now, we get blessings. You know, I, I love being a Christian. The blessings I've had and the peace that I've had have been wonderful. Doesn't mean that everything's perfect. If you're, everything's perfect, then you're probably not serving God and being a target for Satan in the first place. Because Satan does not want us to work for God. And the more we work for God, the more Satan is going to try to stop us. Which is kind of a scary thing. You're going, okay, God, I want to serve you. And you start serving, and the very first thing that happens is Trials and tribulations come your way. And you know, one of the things I've said is, what will stop us from serving God? What will stop us from coming to church? Whatever will be able to stop us from serving God or stop us from, from coming to church, you'll get lots of it. Every time you think about coming to church or serving God, you'll get more of whatever it is that will stop you. And we, not, we need to be able to look at that. Now, granted, if you're, if you're really sick and dying, don't come to church and spread it around to everybody. But you know, how many times have you had a small headache or a little bit of a sniffle and you say, well, maybe I should just stay home from church and, and you decide to go and all of a sudden it disappears? Okay? Or you stay home. And you stay home and the next Sunday, or late, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, you get the same thing all, all over again. And then the third Sunday and the fourth Sunday, and before long, you've forgotten to go to church. <laughs> you know, we need to be very careful about how we respond to these things. Satan knows a lot about us. He doesn't know our thoughts. He doesn't know all that. But he knows. He studies. He knows what's going on. He doesn't know our thoughts. Now, he can plant lots of thoughts in your brain, but he doesn't know your thoughts uh, because he's not omniscient. Keep in mind, Satan is a created being. You know, we've talked many times about this. He's not God's equal. 
Okay, he's not even really God's adversary. He's God uses him to to do things, but he's not really God's adversary because all God has to do is, you know, say you're done and he's done. You can unthink him; he could not exist anymore. He could say, "Okay, it's time for you to go to hell now," not not in the future. God is using Satan. Satan is not an enemy. Is not really even an enemy. He's an adversary, but he's more like uh, a superpower being being irritated by some small country that, you know, uh, that no threat to you at all, and you just kind of ignore them. I uh, can't even think of what country I'd want to pick on, but, <laughs> you know, uh, to, uh, Madagascar attacking Russia. <laughs> I don't even know if Madagascar has an army. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they have some army, but, you know, you know, but, you know, what threat would Madagascar, you know, pose to Russia? <laughs> Not a whole lot. You know, yeah, they could kill a few people, but nothing. That's, and that's even a bigger opponent than Satan is to God. All right? Uh, he's a created being. He's not omniscient. He's not all omnipresent. Now, he can probably move a lot faster than anybody, anything around this world, but he is not omnipresent. He can't be in all places, and he doesn't know everything, and he's not all powerful. He's so limited that as we as Christians have God on our side and God living in us, there's nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. And that's the good news. He has to, as, as we're learning Job, he has to go to God and ask for permission to do anything. And as I told you, I truly believe he has to ask God for permission to do anything to anybody, not just God's people. Because otherwise he'd just kill everybody. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you that. I believe so. I mean, there's nothing really in the Bible that says that, but I know that his desire would be to kill the entire world before they have a chance to come to God, so God must have that on him saying, no, you can't do this. Yeah. Uh, that's my personal opinion. It just makes sense to me that he doesn't have the permission to do whatever he wants. But he's a created being, and that should give us great hope, especially as followers of God. Nothing can happen to us unless God allows it and then we will face the consequence for what we do or the reward for what we do. If we honor God, we get the reward. And if we disobey, we get the consequence. And, and all, of this, all of the testing that we go through is to basically say, am I going to trust God? Will I trust God to be God? Will I sit back and listen to him? Will I be obedient to him? And these are very important considerations. David's saying, the door's open to me. Now, this is the second time. Now, can imagine this. The first time, it's like, okay, I'm not going to strike him. Just a couple weeks later, it seems to be, or a month or two later, he's got a second time to try to, keep, to kill Saul. And these are the only time. These are just the two times we've been told. There's probably been others. And yet he says, no, I won't. How many times do we say, okay, God, I'm not going to walk through that door. I don't think it's right. And then the next second or third, fourth time we go, well, God, the door keeps opening. Maybe I should be taking this door. David could have said, the second time, God, you must be opening this door. And yet he's not going to take and walk through killing God's anointed leader. And this is something, you know, again, I want to be very careful. Sometimes I do believe God opens doors for us, yes. But we need to be praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do? And then listen. Listen. If there's nothing in the scripture that says don't do it, then it might very well be, but be very cautious about just going through the doors 
because they're open. Because, like I say, Satan can open doors. Uh, and we want to be cautious on it. Listen to God's voice. How do we get to know God's voice? And we've talked about this. You get to know him. <laughs> you spend time in his word. You spend time talking in prayer. You start listening to his voice. And, you know, I, like I say, back in the old days, before we had caller ID, you didn't, you know, you'd pick up the phone and somebody that you knew really well started talking. They didn't have to say, oh, this is Ralph, you know, would you, you know, it's like, oh, I've talked to you enough. I know this is mom, this is dad, this is, you know, my boyfriend, girlfriend, my husband, my wife. We, we knew their voice. Why? Because we spent time with them. We spent time talking with them. We will know God's voice the more we spend time with him. And, you know, I know that I hear God's voice, you know, not audibly, but I know I hear him say, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, often. As long as I don't get so busy in the world living my life <laughs> that I forget God. And there's times when I do that just like everybody else. I'll go back and say, why did I do that? You know, what a dumb thing to have done. And it may not even be a big deal, but it was just, I should not have done that. And even, no matter how small it is, there's consequences for not listening to God. Sometimes the consequences are much bigger than what we did. And I would say almost always the consequences are bigger. Because we, when you sow, we reap. And one of the principles of sowing is you get back more than you sow. Well, you reap more than you sow. Otherwise, farmers would never farm, uh, plant a crop. Okay, I'm going to plant my pea seed, and I expect to get one pea back. Is not going to be, not going to be. I'm going to plant my kernel of corn, and I expect to get one kernel of corn back. No, you you expect to get a lot of lot on a on an ear, and you expect to get lots of ears of corn. Okay, and when we sow our seeds, we reap, and we reap more than we sowed, whether it's good or bad. And so we want to keep that in mind as David tells him, no, we're not going to touch him. But again, he says, okay, take Saul's spear and take his wineskin of water. Okay, his cruise of, his cruise of his water. Now this is the second time David's going to take something that belongs to Saul. But this time, he's not cutting the garment of Saul, so he's not going to be quite as convicted. Last time he actually came very, you know, as close as you could, he, he this time he's just taking Saul's weapon, you know, weaponry, and his and his water, uh, and uh, so they take that, and it says that everybody was fast asleep, and, and it says that God put them to sleep, and you almost have to believe this because this is the general, plus three thousand choice men, and nobody's awake. And I can guarantee you that army, even though I don't know this personally, that army had the same rule of every other army. When you were on guard duty, you did not sleep. Okay, this has been true of every army in history. You go to sleep on guard duty, you're, you're, you're executed. Because, yeah, even, even in our country, you know, in America, you can't, you're going to at least be court-martialed, and in time of war, you, you could be killed for falling asleep on on duty and theoretically falling asleep on duty at any time, but you know, usually just during war. And these are the choice men. If nothing else, is, as Mark said, these guys have learned to kind of sleep with one eye open. You know, any wrestling, any wrestling would have woke, awakened them. So God definitely had to have put them to sleep. This is the best of the best chasing after David, and they're all asleep. 
okay? Uh, and I can, I don't believe that Saul or Abner were stupid enough not to put a guard up. <laughs> okay, this is, Abner's going to be a general all through this. He's going to harass David for a long time. Uh, so he's not, uh, he's not totally, you know, stupid. So he, put, he had to have put, put a guard up, and if not, Saul would have. And so everybody's asleep. And David goes in, takes the items of Saul, <laughs> and leaves. You know, what, you know, this is just an amazing thought process going on. All right, verse 13. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answer you not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you that cries to the king? And David answered to Abner, are, are not you a valiant man? And who is like you in Israel? Wherefore then have you not kept your lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king of my lord. This thing is not good that you have done. As the Lord lives, you are worthy to die, because you have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the cruise of water that is in his, at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice and said, is that, my, is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, O Lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand. Now therefore I pray you, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord hath stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it be, but if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the lord, for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the lord, for the king of Israel is come to seek a flea as one, one doth hunt the partridge in the mountain. All right. David gets out of the camp, goes up on a hill far enough away, basically, that nobody's going to charge after him. And he calls out to Saul. And he calls out to Abner. Okay. He's taunting Abner. Remember, David's been in charge of... of many of, people, of Saul's army before too. Maybe he and Abner have a little something going between them. I don't know. But he's taunting Abner in all of this. And he gets up there and he cries out to Abner. And Abner is you know, like, who is this guy? <laughs> like he doesn't recognize David's voice. Uh, you know, who, 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 is, who are you that cries to the king? And David gives a very interesting thing. He goes, aren't you a valiant man? You know, aren't you a warrior? Aren't you a fighter? And who is like you in all of Israel? Okay, he's he's flattering Abner at this point. You know, hey, you're 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 a mighty man, and you know, is there anybody really like you? Now we're going to find out if you think about reading about Abner. Abner really thinks he's something. Okay, um, in Second Samuel two, Abner is after Saul's death is going to put Ishbosheth one of Saul's descendants on the throne of Israel and try to keep him there. Now, when you read chapter 2, you find out, in chapter 3, you find out that he's using Ashibotheth as a puppet. To, he's actually trying to rule, rule from his position, but he's putting a son of David in place. All right? 
Uh, then when Ishibetheth decides that he's had enough of Abner's <laughs> playing him for a fool, he criticizes Abner, and Abner goes to David and says, if you will just uh, you know, make this deal with me, I'll deliver Shivatheth and the kingdom to you. And he does so. All right? This is, this is the power play. Abner thinks he's pretty, that he's something special, and David's playing up on him. <laughs> you, know, you, think, you think you're really good? You think all of this? And he goes, Back, back to our, our verse 15. He goes, but what you have, you have not kept the king. At this point, you can almost picture Saul hasn't spoken up to this point. Abner's probably looking, did the king die? <laughs> you know, did David kill the king? Because he says, you haven't kept the king. God's anointed. And, you know, you can almost picture him wondering at this point, because Saul hasn't spoken, and Saul's in this little depression, you know, and he's, he's trying to find out who is this man, you know, and if you've ever woke up out of a sleep and tried to figure out what was going on, you know, you heard a noise, and all of a sudden you're trying to re, you know, refocus and get your, get your wits about you, this is where Abner is at this moment, he's been in a deep sleep that God gave him, all of a sudden he wakes up to David's cry, it's like, okay, who is this, and now he's being challenged, saying, you didn't keep the king, you can almost picture the panic in Abner. Uh, what's he talking about? Has the king, has the king been killed? Uh, and David goes on to say, you are worthy to die. <laughs> Abner, you're the general. You didn't keep the king. You, you deserve to die. Because you haven't done this. And he says, now see this spear and this bottle of water. Now, it says he's a great way off. All he sees is a spear. <laughs> a spear in somebody's hand and, and a bottle of water. He doesn't know if David's lying or not lying to him at this, you know, at this moment. And then Saul gets up and says, David, is that you? This has been Saul's attitude every time David challenges him. Oh, David, my son. You know, I love you so much. You know, I don't know what I'm doing out here tracing you, David. I just, I love you so much. Every time he hears David's voice, he's reminded of what he, what, he, what he wants to do. Now, I'm going to project out here because David is going to say here, you know, uh, verse 18 says, Wherefore are you pursuing after me? What have I done? What is my evil? Saul can never answer David what he's done. We know he's got his jealousy. Saul's jealous of David. Okay? Um, and that leads to him being so easily manipulated. And... Remember before, David says, who is it that keeps speaking in your ear, Saul? Who is it? I'm going to say that I believe it's Abner. The Bible never says it's Abner, but Abner's power hungry. And Abner's always there. And Abner's, the, Abner's in chapter 14, Abner was one that sat with King Saul, Jonathan, and David at the seat, if you remember. He's, he's, he's very high up in the government positions. He's power hungry, as we see in 2 Samuel 2 and 3. Uh, he is one that is trying. And so David, I think, is very implicitly applying to him, is it Abner? You know, King Saul, is it Abner who keeps speaking these negative things into yours? Now, I'm not, I can't say that absolutely. It's just something that struck me 
as I'm looking at this section. Is David kind of just plugging it in there, you know, Abner? Yeah. Abner's the troublemaker. How many times do we know people who stir up the pot to make people fight each other and keep, keep battles going on? I've seen it in some churches, and you heard about it in many churches, where somebody just stirs the pot and keeps people agitated with one another. You know, we all know people. It happens in businesses. It happens in families. I really do believe that David's pointing to Abner and saying, you know, hey, quit listening to him. <laughs> you know, quit listening to him. Because I have a feeling that Abner's a little jealous of David as well. You know, he's the general. He's the cousin of Saul. And David gets all the, all the praise. You know, and Saul's not getting it as king, and Abner's not getting it as general. David, the son-in-law of the king, the shepherd boy, <laughs> gets the praise. So I really do think, and this is my opinion, it's, it's worth only what my opinion is worth, which is nothing, but I kind of think that David's pointing to Abner and saying, I think it's Abner that's causing all the problems, King. Now, granted, King Saul has his problems already. I mean, he's jealous of David. He's, he seems to have easily persuaded, uh, easily moved. And David is saying, I, who is it that, you know, I've spared your life twice now, at least twice that we've been told of. You know, how many times did he run from him in battle instead of engaging him in battle? David was a great general. He could have engaged Saul in battle at any time and said, hey, Saul died in battle. You know, yes, he was chasing me, but <laughs> he died in battle and he could have gotten away with that. But he kept running from Saul as often as he could. He left Saul. He says, God, I don't want my hand to be against him in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, and in, in verse 19, so who stirred you up against me? Let him accept an offering. But if the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from the inheritance. Now let my blood, let not my blood fall before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come to seek a flea as one doth hunt a partridge in the mountain. Uh, now what an interesting, this is the second time David says he's nothing but a flea. You know, Saul, who are you chasing? I'm not out to hurt you. And I'm just an insignificant, you know, if you've ever tried to pick a flea off a, a dog or something, we don't have them here in Arizona, frankly, <laughs> but, you know, uh, or, or he says, as one hunts a partridge in the mountain. Now, how hard is it to hunt a partridge? I don't know, but trying to pick one, one partridge out of an entire mountain would probably be a pretty tricky business. Okay, and he says, I'm insignificant. I am nothing. Why are you coming after me, Saul? And, for, you know, and we're going to see that Saul is going to you know, come to the conclusion of, I shouldn't be, just as he has on three other occasions in this story that are mentioned. And again, I say mentioned because we don't know that every opportunity is out there. And we've talked about this before. When we read the Bible, we always have to remember time is go goes by. We read the story of Abraham, and we have, I think it's six chapters about Abraham's life, and it covers uh, 70, 80 years of his life. And we get like eight incidents out of it, and people go, well, look at that, you know, he lived a really exciting life. No, there were long periods of time where practically nothing happened, just like our lives. We're long periods of life where we just go to church and read our Bible, go to work, do, serve God, Nothing really significant happens, and then all of a sudden we hit a crossroad that says, 
follow God, don't follow God, or fall into temptation, or don't fall into temptation. Then we bounce back and we go long periods of time (laughs) where we're just living life. That's the way it was with all the various characters in the Bible. And we read the book of Acts, and you know, you can read the book of Acts in about you know, a couple hours if you really just sit down and read it. And yet it covers 40 years, 30, 40 years of church history. And we go, wow, look at all the excitement that these guys did. And we'll read through, and then you read Paul's epistles, and it says, I spent five years in this place. And in the, in the book of Acts, we have one event that happens in five years. Okay? Be very careful when you read the scriptures that you don't think that these these guys didn't have long periods where they just lived, <laughs> just like we do. Uh, and again, if you read biographies, it's the same thing. You're, you're not getting everything that ever happened. Can you imagine writing a biography of your life? Got up in the morning, ate breakfast, went to work, came home, studied the Bible, went, went, went to sleep, got up the next day, ate breakfast, went to work. <laughs> you know, how boring would your life be if you wrote every day down <laughs> You know, so you write down the big events that happen. And this is what happens in the Bible. We're written down the big events that happen in these, in, these, in these people's lives. Even with David being chased all over the place, we're not reading every single event that goes on in David's life. All right, We go long periods of time, and then all of a sudden Saul gets upset and goes after him. And we have, a, have an event. All right, verse 21. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return my son and... For I will no more do you harm. Now this is like the third time he said this. Uh, because my soul, because my soul was precious in your in your eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool, and I have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. And the Lord rendered to every man his righteousness and uh, his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today but I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as your life it was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You shall both do great things and also shall prevail. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. All right, so here we are again. Saul looks at him and says, I've sinned. I'm seeking an innocent man's life. Now remember, in the previous chapter, David was going to seek an innocent man's life. Does anybody remember who that was? Abigail's husband? Nabal? (laughs) Means fool? David was going to kill an innocent man. Well, the whole family kill everybody. So David is not completely innocent of what he's accusing Saul of doing either. How easy is it for us to go do something that we know we shouldn't be doing? How easy is it to see somebody else's problems and not our own? That's what Jesus said, you know, how can we take the, the splinter out of somebody's eye, the speck, when we have a log and literally in the Greek, it's talking about a very big two-by-four smacking everybody upside the head as you're looking around. David's doing the same thing in many ways. You know, he was ready to kill Nabal, which was innocent blood, and now he's, and he had more reason to kill Nabal than, David, than Saul has to kill him. But you know, the point is, we need to be very careful. 
to not judge one another as well. And just say, we love each other. We show God's love. We show grace. And grace is so important for us to give to one another. Our job is not to go around criticizing everybody up and trying to fix them. Uh, one thing I can tell you is God never made me uh, in charge of anybody's life. He never put me in, in, in his place in anybody's life. Now, sometimes we think, you know, for our spouse, we were supposed to be, but God didn't even put us in their life to be him. All right? We can talk to them. We can pray, pray for and with them. We can point out things that we see, but be very careful that it's done in love. And that's the most important, that we love one another. And when we're going to say something that's hard to somebody, it's done in love. Yeah. And you all know what I mean when you say, you know, you can say something, you can say the same thing in two different ways. And one is, I'm accusing you. The tone in my voice says, I'm accusing you, and, and you're being a fool and all that. And the other one is, I'm, I love you, and I'm so concerned about what you're doing. And the other one's like, why don't you get your life right and don't have all these problems? <laughs> okay, and we've all been there. We all know what, know, know what that's like to have somebody, just everything about what they're saying is like, you know, I'm accusing you, I'm attacking you. And maybe somebody else, the next time you come around, they say almost the same thing, and it's their love for you, just you know that it's there because they're concerned about you. And this is what's going on here. And Saul repents <laughs> again. And I'm not going to say that his repentance is not true. Now, there's a lot of questions that people have. Did Saul get saved, what we would say saved, and will he be in heaven? I personally believe that he will be. Because God anointed him, he made, had him prophesy, but Saul had a lot of weaknesses and a lot of troubles in his life. But God's grace put Saul where he was, and this is why it's so important. God's grace allows us to be able to become a Christian. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like I. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God saves us by grace. Does that mean we're going to be super saints as soon as we get saved? Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we were? <laughs> but we're not. We need to grow. We need to develop. Some people grow better than faster than others. Some hardly ever move. And this is why we need to be very careful when we look at somebody and say, how can that person be a Christian? Well, because they admitted they were a sinner and asked God in their heart. The fact that they're not letting him take lordship over their life completely and grow is another story altogether. And, you know, we've talked about this many times, the old joke where when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised about who is there and who isn't there. Because we'll look and say, how did you get here? Uh, I never saw you do anything for God. And then we'll look and say, well, where's so-and-so? They were in church all the time, and they were passing out tracts all the time, and they were doing this and that, and where are they? They never knew God. God's grace. Saul kept repenting, and I think he honestly meant it when he would repent. Now, he had some issues. Whether he was slightly crazy, I don't know. It seems to be when we read this. Was he easily influenced by people, which David is indicating each time? Who is it that's speaking into you that I'm doing, doing that, you know, trying not to hurt you? Okay. David keeps repeating that. So in my mind, David's saying, there's somebody there trying to, trying to get you you know, get after you, and you're not listening to your son. Your son's for me. So it has to be somebody else. Now, it could literally just be Satan. I'm kind of thinking that it's Abner because of how he's needling and, and attacking Abner at this time. 
uh, or at least David thinks it is. <laughs> but he keeps saying, who is it? And, you know, it, and he says, you know, I've, you know and, and Saul's kind of interesting. He goes, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And I think at this time, Saul's thinking all the times now that he's chased David. Okay, you know, didn't I just go, didn't we just go through this routine? And here I am now chasing you again. And we have this problem, and all of us have something in our life that we have the same problem Saul does. We keep falling for the same sin over and over and over again. Uh, it's called a besetting sin by many people where we just, it just doesn't seem like we can get victory over that. This jealousy of David is one of Saul's besetting sins. Okay, he keeps falling for it. He's already jealous of David, and it doesn't take much for somebody to stir that pot. You know, King David's still wandering around. You know, he's still out there trying to get your throne. Yeah. Hey, you know, David, David's out there living a life of leisure out there in the wilderness. <laughs> uh, how, how can you let him live? You know, he's, he's going to take your throne. All of these things, whether it's just Satan putting it in there or Abner or anybody else in the, in the area, it's his besetting sin. He's, his, he's, he's already, remember, where did they find him when he was, after he was anointed king? He was hiding. Okay? He was hiding in the baggage cart. He had this inferior, inferiority complex from the very beginning. And now David's rising up, a rising star, with somebody who's already thinking himself not worthy, and then somebody stirs up the pot all the time. It's real easy to do. And we see this all the time. We see it in businesses. We see it in churches. Somebody rising up. And people above them getting very nervous, cause especially if they don't really feel like they were good at what they were doing in the first place. And this is where Saul's at. He says, you know, I keep doing that. I keep falling for the same thing. I keep chasing you, and it's, it's wrong, and I've been a fool. And David answered and said, hey, come and get your spear and your water. Now, there's two things he's trying to prove on this. Number one, that it is Saul's stuff. And he's saying, I'm giving you back your stuff. Okay, two things he's trying to do. But I think the biggest thing was he wants to prove that, hey, I have your stuff. And not necessarily to Saul. Saul's already admitted it. I think he's making a point to Abner that he's not just playing a game, that he has Saul's stuff. Okay, Abner, you, you know, by the way, Abner, you take a look at this stuff when he gets back. He doesn't say that, but you know that Abner is going to look at it. Or at least ask the king, is this your stuff? All right. This is a really big power game going on right now that David's playing uh, and showing them that it is. And then he says, The Lord rendered every man his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered you into my hand this day, and I would not stretch my hand out against the anointed. Because I've been righteous, give it to me. And by implication, the Lord rendered every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. If he's speaking of Abner, he's going... Abner is going to get what he deserves as well because he's been unrighteous and unfaithful if he's the one stirring the pot. So he's saying, God's going to give you all what you deserve. He's already said Saul's going to get his. He's going to die at some point. Some point before I'm too old to be king, <laughs> David's also saying. David has just developed this faith that he says, I trust God. And this is so important for us to trust God and say, God, I'm going to wait for you to open the doors. I'm going to wait for you to put it into my lap. 
and not try to push doors. Now, how many times we have a door that's open a crack and we, we hit it with the battering ram and say, oh, it was an open door. <laughs> you know, I know, I know, I know they were just looking out the door and I crashed it open. <laughs> yeah, and David's saying, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, this door has been cracked open, but I am not going to touch the one that God put in, king, in, in position. And it says in verse 24, Behold, as your, uh, excuse me, uh, and he says, I would not stretch it. And then it says, Behold, as your life was in my hand this day, so let my life be set in your eyes of the Lord and, and deliver me out of tribulation. So he says, God's going to deliver me. I honored you. God will honor me. And this is the great thing. We reap what we sow. We have faith in God. And God is going to bless I really do believe that in the Christian life we have more blessings than, than we don't have blessings uh, if we just look for them. Saul, as bad as he made his life sound, he had all kinds of blessings. He led people to Christ, uh, to the Lord. He set up these churches. He, he established them. He was looking at heaven for the ultimate authority, but he had great blessings on this life. And he had times of sorrow. You know, he's in his last imprisonment and he says, everybody's left me. The only one I have is, is Luke. Everybody else, you know, I sent these three away and the others have all just abandoned me. Was he feeling pretty down at that point in time when he was writing that letter? Absolutely. Yeah, we all have points in time where we feel the pressure of what's going on. And if you don't ever feel the pressure of what's going on, you're lying. <laughs> okay? We all feel the pressure now, we may have our focus on it, and that's what, you know, I've told you, I will go, God, I know that all things work together for good, but I sure don't understand how it's going to happen. That's basically my answer, God. It's, I'm under a lot of pressure now, and I'm, all I can do is hold on to this one promise that it's going to work out for good. But God, would you please show it to me, because I don't understand it. We all get in that place at some point in time where we go, God, I know what you say is true, but boy, I don't see it right now. And it's just sometimes that grabbing hold of the truth and the promise is all we've got. And we hold on to that promise for, for all we've got because it's, the end, it's a knot at the end of the rope. If we let go of that knot, we're going to fall. Now, the good news is we'll fall into God's hands, but we don't want to do that either. We just hold on to it and say, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. And David's at that point. He says, I'm getting tired of this running around. You know, just think about this. David had spent years in the palace, okay? As a young man, he spent it all out in the wilderness, you know, so he had good training for running around the wilderness, <laughs> watching the sheep. Then he gets promoted, and he's in the palace, playing the harp whenever Saul needs him, so he has to be close by. Then he gets married to Michael, so, and he's now the son-in-law of the king. Now, I can tell you, as son-in-law of the king, he didn't get a shack out back of the palace, okay? He had a nice suite of rooms probably in the palace, and now all of a sudden he's back to running around in the wilderness. Uh, you, know, you know that had some effect on him. It had to have. In two wives now and 600 men that, he's all, that somehow he's supposed to be responsible for all the time. And he's not going to be a thief and a robber. Okay. Uh, how they supported themselves, I don't know. They probably had some flocks. You know, they had to have had some flocks, which made it hard for him to run. <laughs> which is why I said he's not hiding very very hard, you know, much. He's, uh, he's just trusting God. But when they had to run, they had to run, which meant they would lose their flocks and they'd have to start all over again. So he kept just a big enough flock for handling 600 men. 
And then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You shall do both do great things and you also shall prevail. Now, this is the second time that I remember this. Saul said, okay, I know you're going to be king. I know it's going to happen. And he's invited David to come back, and then it says David went his way. <laughs> David does not trust Saul well enough to go back to wherever the palace is at. Why? Because he'd be trapped there. Okay, he barely got away. Remember when, when Saul sent to get him arrested and he went, went in there and Michael told him that he's in bed asleep, he's sick? And they went back and they told King Saul he's sick and he says, I don't care if he's sick, bring the whole bed. Okay, I want, I want David here and I want him now. David just barely escaped from that one. David knows he cannot go back with Saul. He's not going to put his trust in Saul, even though Saul now has repented for the third or fourth time that we've been told about. He says, I'm going to put my trust in God. When God takes Saul out, I will become king. And that's something we want to just be looking at. And we just want to keep in mind, listen to God. Listen for his voice. Be guided by God. Be guided by his word. And honor his word. If the word says don't do something, don't do it. If, and you know, no matter what the world says. I mean, the world will tell us to do all kinds of things, and man, it sounds so good to the flesh. You know, that person has really abused you. You have every right to go seek revenge. And God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And every time we try to defend ourselves, at least I've, every time I've tried to defend myself, it makes a mess bigger. And, and if I just let God deal with it, things happen the way he wants them to. So we need to learn to just trust God, listen to God with, you know, for the still, small voice. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, teach us to listen. Teach us to hear your voice. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, we ask that they will confess that they're a sinner and ask you to come into their heart and live in them and show them how to live for you. And We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.